Welcome to System Mastery, the podcast where we beat a dead horse 1d6 damage at a time. I'm Jeff, and my partner John and I want to tell you about an exciting new investment you can make. For the low, low cost of all your savings, time, and dignity, you too can join the exciting world of playing Games Workshop tabletop wargaming products, such as Warhammer Fantasy or Warhammer 40k. These tiresome, overcomplicated, offensively expensive games will lead you to lose the friends you have now, and replace them with way worse friends, the kind that would wear a fishing vest as if it counts as clothes. This week, we aren't going to tell you about those games directly. Just one of the mini tentacles that makes up the GW chaos god of merchandising. We have Dark Heresy, and we're very likely to declare exterminatus. Welcome back. Hey, John. Hey, what's up? Ah, you know, uh, I am very tired, and I do not remember much about this book, because it is very difficult to remember. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not, it's not terrible. It's not particularly memorable. Well, let's get, let's get out of the way. Okay, we're, we're reviewing Fantasy Flight Games, Dark Heresy. That's the first edition, so that we can stay in the theme of reviewing stuff that's out of print. Yeah, so they just released, uh, about a month and a half or so ago... The Dark Heresy 2nd Edition, mm-hmm. and Dark Heresy is just one of the many Warhammer 40k-related RPGs that they have out. Yes, there's there's one to play Space Marines. Yep. You there's one to play Death Ka- Watch. Death Watch. There's one to play the Chaos Space Marines. Yep. I think there's one to play Grey Knights, is that right? Uh, no, the there's the Death Watch, there's the... Uh, the Black Crusade, which is the Chaos Marines. There's only War, if you want to do the Imperial IG. Guard. Right, okay. And then there's Rogue Trader, if you just want to be a space pirate. Which is the best and original of these type of games. Rogue Trader's been around for a very long time, right? Yeah, Rogue Trader's sort of the original one, and then they branched these off to be in case you actually play the tabletop game and are like, but I want to play as a space marine. So in Dark Heresy, you're playing as the Acolytes of an Inquisitor. Yeah, and it, sort of like in Prime Directive, the GM is, I mean, not directly, but kind of your Inquisitor Lord that's telling you what to do. Yeah, although if you read through to the end of the book, it gives you a bunch of hilarious potential uh, Inquisitors that you could be running the party (laughs) with, including, like, Baron Von Michelin Man, the, like, (laughs) you saw him, right? He's like, he's like Baba Yaga's fat guy. He's, he's a big, fat, uh, like, uh, tire-covered guy on robot legs. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why that they have this thing in 40k where either you're like completely resplendent in gold shenanigans or you look like an extra from the Road Warrior. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you're like poor or rich. It's just sort of at random you'll get a card that either says rich guy or Road Warrior. Yeah, or woman when women always look like kind of severe librarians. Yeah, you kind of look like Bayonetta if you're a, uh, Inquisitor as a lady. And that's your only option. You never get the gross women. The uh, the women all look like they were uh, directed, like they're all walking off the set of Blue Velvet. The men all look like they're walking off the set of Dune. Yeah, I mean, you'll get the, like, what are you? I'm some old-ass, crotchety, hunched-over tech priest guy. Yeah. And he's like, man, I hate everyone. And then you'll go to some lady and it'll just be like, I'm in, you know, sexy nun outfit and I have a gun. Yeah, and there's a lot of corsets in the 40th millennium. Yeah. On, on, on both genders. It's just that on the men, they're like... Grossly misshapen, and they conceal horrors. <laughs> so, uh, for people who aren't 40k 
uh, fluent. I guess we should probably talk a little bit about what this this yeah, all is. I mean, it'll it goes into the setting of it as well, so yeah. it's fine. Okay, so 40k is a game setting that is set 40,000 x years from now because they they have lost track of what exact year it is, and uh, it's kind of a grim, horrible future where a god emperor rules Earth and and uh, his psychic might helps people navigate across the starways, and everyone's kind of vaguely Catholic, but not really. And they <laughs> all have much... speak sort of Latin, but yeah, not really. Everyone has a name like Theseus or Cypherus. Yeah. And, uh... A lot it, of usses. Yeah, a lot of that. Uh, <laughs> Kid Icarus basically named everything in this universe. <laughs> you mean the Kid Icarus from the Captain N video That game? is exactly what I mean. <laughs> not the regular Kid Icarus, but specifically the one who ends all of his, his uh, nouns with Icus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, that's fine. As long as Mega Man from that universe did not name all the characters. No, he it. named everything for the Necrons. Oh, right. Yeah, I suppose he did. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, everything's kind of grim and oily and nasty. There's a bunch of alien races that are wandering around, and they're all va- vaguely. You know what? All the alien races are just fantasy alien races, but yeah. in space. Forty so got- K is essentially they took the fantasy uh, property that they had and then went, "How can we do this in space?" So you have. Like fantasy orcs, and now you have space orcs. Only they spell it with a K now because they're in space, and they are basically soccer hooligans because uh, GW is a British company. Yeah, and so they just decided soccer hooligans was gonna be their template for orcs. Yep. So this book doesn't really concern itself too much with the Xenos as they're known in in the universe because this is more about people who try and find wiz- uh, like witches and sci- and evil psychics and demons. Yeah, as an acolyte, uh, you get sort of the impression, even just reading this book without having looked at the other ones. Uh, that you, as the Dark Heresy player, are at the low end of power in the universe. Oh, yeah, you're basically just a human with a gun and maybe some armor. Yeah, you are a human that is slightly better than most other humans. Which is even... Yeah, you look at something like a space marine, and he is a horrible god compared to you. Which is... Yeah, they're, they're... Space marines in this universe are absolutely terrifying. They're eight feet tall, they have poison for blood... They, they they all speak 15 languages because they have to be quite erudite in addition to being giant brutish monsters. Oh, yeah, that, they all get hypno-learning yeah. and sleep things. And yeah, they're neat. You're, you're a chump. And if and being slightly better than the average human in the 40th uh, millennium isn't all that great because the average human's description is just dour. Oh, well, yeah. Everyone is your average Russian peasant in this, essentially. Yeah, they're all like, oh, you've never seen the sunlight, and, and rat-like, you scrabble through the, the uh, ruins of the world that you call home to find a crust of, of meat from an alien that will probably kill you, but who knows? Yeah, no, it is like, are you a human in the 40th millennium? Well, by God, everything sucks forever. And you're definitely going to die to people on your own side, because killing you is worth it if they can kill the psychic who's behind you. Oh, yeah. So it's it's a it's a horrible grim future to live in. If you live within a city block of some horrible mutant, they'll probably just explode your block to kill the mutant and go, "Well, that's fine. That's worth it. There's lots and lots of humans. It's an expendable oh, yeah. resource." There's a shit ton of humans, but we got to get that mutant guy. Yeah. So that's the basics of 40K. Uh they have spread across the galaxy. So uh, just about anywhere you go, there's a whole bunch of planets with a whole bunch of humans on them. The worlds are divided up by whether or not you can safely live on them. Yeah, so that's, we can get into that. So one of the first things you're going to decide in this game when you are making a character is what type of world you are from. That's a great segue, actually, because that that is the race in this game, because you only play as humans, because humans are insanely xenophobic in the future. Oh, yeah, you're not going to be some space elf and Eldar or a space orc or anything like that. No, because there's only war. Yeah, this is, for this supplement, Dark Heresy, you are... 
part of the Inquisition that is specifically trying to get rid of that shit. Right. So you have to be a human, so the only way you have a race is based on where you grew up. So there are four plant types of plants that a uh, inquisitorial henchman may be drawn from. Those include feral worlds, which where you're hard scrabble and mostly primitive. It's and basically planet Rambo. Yeah, you are grown up where you have to fight for survival all the time, so you're the big tough guy. Then there are uh, hive worlds, and hive worlds are basically uh, Mega City One type situations. They're they're worlds where everyone works in a giant super factory that they also live in. And there are billions and billions of people, and they're everywhere, and it's terrible. Yeah, and uh, those are your race that is generally the best at dealing with people, because they deal with people 24-7, because people are everywhere in a hive world. Yeah, there's no room for roads in a hive city, so people will just walk through your house to get to work. Yeah. Yeah, that's, so, that's, that's the way it uh, is. Yeah. And then there's the... Uh, the Imperial Worlds. People from Imperial Worlds are the Marios of this game. Uh, they are the they are the j- uh, vanilla. They're normal. Yeah, they didn't have to deal with any particular hardships, uh, and they didn't really get any special bonuses. So they're just sort of the I'm right down the middle type yeah. of race. And an Imperial World is often it's a variety of things. It's just that it, it's defined by its not being one of the other three options. It could be things like a farm planet. Or a big series of temples, or factories that aren't quite as gross, uh, things like that can all be all be uh, imperial worlds. And then your last option is to not be born on a planet at all, but to be born on some type of spaceship. Yeah, if you are void born, then you were born on. They have a lot of ships that, uh, whether it's a mining operation or it's a transport type of ship that spends a lot of its time moving through space. And we'll spend months, years, even the entire lives of people on the ship just going back and forth. Mm-hmm. So you end up having people that are born in space, and this is the you're the weird guy race. Mm-hmm. They're, they're generally pale, hunched. Uh, each one of the race types, or human race types you can roll as, uh, or you can play as, has a characteristic table you can roll on that tells you a little bit more about your character. So for example, if you're from a, if you're from a feral world, uh, perhaps your world had uh, some taboos, and so you roll on a taboo table, and it says things like you have to eat the blood of your enemies, or uh, you you have dedicated your wounds to the emperor. Uh, with hot, with people from uh, voidborn families, what it is is that you have prote- uh, perhaps some weird appearance because you're from space. You've never seen the sun. Who knows what gravity does to you? You're constantly warping around places, so you end up with uh, no hair, or weird hunchback, or a spine that goes the wrong way. Yeah, you get. Uh, these are the sort of. Most likely to be a psychic in the uh, universe because they have weird connections to the warp. Mm -hmm. And the warp is where all sort of psychic energy goes. It's how we travel faster than light. And it's also where a bunch of demons live and the chaos gods. But we'll get to that later. So basically, in 40,000 years, they discover that the events of the movie Event Horizon are true. Yeah, 100% accurate. Exactly right. You can go through, you can go faster than light, but you have to go through hell to do it. Yeah, oh, dude, Event Horizon even has the uh, horrible Latin in it, so it's pretty much spot on, Event Horizon. Event Horizon is basically 40k, except it's like 2k. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what it is. It's the, the wonderful tale of, uh, of Sam Neill. He's he he started the warp for all of us. Yeah, yeah. He started the warp in my heart. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so those are your races. Mm-hmm. Uh, before you even get to pick a class, though, we have some super classic design in that you do a straight roll for your stats. Mm-hmm. 
uh, down the line. Mm-hmm. No, no organizing them. Yeah, you don't as get to roll wish. and then say, "I want this roll to go to that and this to go to that." You roll right down the line. Mm-hmm. You get one re-roll. So if you really had your heart set on having a good, say, strength, and you rolled like a three, then you can re-roll that one thing. But you only get one. So if you roll kind of like shit for all of them, then you can try and re-roll one of them. Uh, but at least as a baseline, everyone starts with between a 15 and a 25 in any given stat, and then you roll uh, 2d10 and add it onto it. That's correct. And the 15 to 25 modifiers you get are determined by the planet that you originate from. So, for example, if you are a feral person from a feral planet, then you get a 20 for your base uh, weapon skill and ballistic skill, a 25 for strength and toughness because... You you know, you're a big strong guy. Harsh environment, but you lose on willpower and fellowship because you're a big strong guy and you don't play well with others all that well. Yeah. Fellowship is essentially this game's charisma, mm-hmm. but uh, it's not just like how attractive you are or even how specifically charismatic. It's just your force of being able to get people to do what you want. Notably in this game, you don't necessarily want to be attractive or charismatic because that doesn't really fit the theme. You could have a really high fellowship and just be very good at ordering people's deaths. Oh yeah, if you could just be a hard, scraggly, Edward James almost looking motherfucker. Yeah. And he, you know, pipe coming out of your face. Yeah, Adama would 100% be a guy who is super ugly and has an insanely high fellowship because he's just like, I tell people what to do and they do it. Yeah, that's what, that's more or less what fellowship is. There's no place for the pretty in the 40th millennium. I mean, there is, but it's the Eldar, so. (laughs) Not this book or any book because for whatever reason, Games Workshop does not allow uh, either novels or role-playing games to feature the Xenos as the main characters. No, it's all humans all the time. Yeah. It's uh, for, for guys like me that played a lot of 40k but always played them as, uh, as cool alien races, I've always found this offshoot line to be super disappointing because I'm like, oh, you can play as eight kinds of humans. Well, I like elves. No. Yeah. No, we don't know how to write for elves. Elves are too hard. Yeah. So, uh... So here's the stats. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, this one has uh, sort of your standard stats, your strength, toughness, agility, intelligence, all that. The two that are unique to this and that are brought over from the 40k tabletop are weapon skill and ballistic skill. Uh, those are your ability to hit in melee combat and your ability to hit with ranged combat, uh, respectively. So with that, it's interesting because rather than have a, like, a bonus to hit or a specific, uh, target number that you have normally, it's a stat and it's separate from other things. So, like, Normally, you'd be getting a bonus to hit with strength in melee in D&D. This, you have strength as a separate thing from your weapon skill, which is how you hit in melee. There you go. Yep, so you have weapon skill and ballistic skill, just like in the uh, in the tabletop game. And in fact, the only other real connection to the tabletop game is that you're going to be... Most of your stats range between, what, like uh, 17 and about 45, I'd say, would be the, the, the high end to the low end. Yeah, Before if you, you are a starting character, yeah. the very highest you could have is a 45 in something. Right, so... What you do with those stats, though, is you look at them and then you lop off the ones digit for a lot of the ca- in a lot of cases to determine your kind of. That'll be your bonus if they need. Yeah. If they say what is your like toughness bonus, it'll be if you've got a thirty-five, then it's a three. Uh, but if you're doing a test for a characteristic, then it's a d one hundred, and you're just trying to do a roll under. 
which is hilarious because it's impossible to get above 50% on anything to start. Oh, yeah. No, even because you start with some bonus XP, Mm -hmm. and if you rolled a 10 and a 10 for both of whatever good stat that you have, and it has to be one that you would start with at 25, Mm -hmm. so not only are you having a 1 in 100 roll that you would get that, but then it has to also be that roll down the line on your best stat. Uh-huh. And then on top of that, you would have to spend XP to get plus 5 to it, and then your starting character can have a 50-50 chance of doing something cool. Yep, and that is something very specific, because the only way to get that high up there is to either spend experience to uh, buy up the attribute, or to buy enough of a bonus to one of your skills that you have a bonus to that particular roll. Yeah. And honestly, I, I, this is one of my least favorite things in the book, is, okay... You have a less than 50% chance of accomplishing anything ever in this game when you're a starting character. That's how bad you are. Oh, yeah. But the story in the back, the little story of how to roll stats, is like, okay, this guardsman is fighting a gang member, and then the gang member bombs him on the head, and he has to go buy a med kit from a from a trader. Okay, the book's being honest. It's like, all right, the the uh, guardsman has a 45% chance to hit this, this uh, ganger. He does. He has a 17% chance to convince this merchant to sell him a med kit. He does. <laughs> he has a 30% chance to figure out where in the hive he is. He does. Uh, it, it's a little disingenuous to suggest that you're going to keep making these ridiculously un- unlikely rolls over and over again, but that's all it is in the back of the book is this guardsman grand, grand tale of success at, like, lottery-level odds. <laughs> yeah, the uh, <laughs> the game also has... Uh, the skill system in there is, if you get a skill, that just means you can roll it. So the first level of a skill means you don't have a penalty to doing it, but it's still just going to be your characteristic. So even if you spend XP to get a certain skill, you're still just rolling at your stats. Mm-hmm. So until you start going into a skill with a plus 10 or a plus 20, which at that point you're like, okay, if I have a plus 20, then I'm... I'm at least somewhat likely to be rolling this, but you're pretty far away from a from a uh, plus twenty. Those are those are hard to get, and we'll explain them when we get to actual classes and yeah. and what those are. So just rest assured that your starting character is bad at everything. Oh yeah, and that's all right, I guess. I mean, it, it doesn't seem like it'd be a tremendously fun game, but it's supposed to be one of those brutal you die a lot and you just bring another character in type of games. Yeah, and uh, so on top of that, you also have your wounds. Which everyone is a D5 plus either 7, 8, or 9, depending on your homeworld. The book mentions that you can purchase a specialty D5, but generally it's easier to use a D10 and divide by 2. Yeah. Uh, which I think I've seen a D5 once, so probably just use a D10, considering this entire game is D10 based. Yeah, yeah. Or go find a D5, which I have also seen, I think, once, and I, I, I can't remember how to hold the shape of it in my head. <laughs> it is non-Euclidean dice. Yeah. Yeah, it never even rolls a number. It always just rolls the day you'll die. <laughs> what? All right, and my hit points are nine plus next Thursday. Oh, oh, oh God! Oh, oh. <laughs> I've wasted my life. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So okay. after your your characteristics, you're gonna get into your classes, right? And the game has, I think, ten. Yeah, uh, so starting starting classes. Yeah. Uh, each of those classes is sort of you have something you're kind of useful at. It's a it, yeah, it's a kind of henchman that an inquisitor might have, or a kind of acolyte. So they are, and I'm gonna try. I don't think I can do them from memory. So help me fill any gaps I don't get here. Yeah. Uh, there's adept, yeah, which is your smart guy. So, okay, that's your smart guy. Uh, guardsman, which is just I'm a fighter man's. Uh, let's see, imperial psyker, which is your wizard and the best class in the game because mm-hmm. it's a wizard. Uh, scum. Which is just a rogue. Assassin. Which is a 
rogue with the actual ability to kill people. Tech priest? Which is sort of unique. Actual priest? I think they're called clerics or yeah, something? Yeah, you can be a cleric, and it's a, uh, a D&D cleric without any spells. And I think there's two more. <laughs> yeah, so you get... Uh, oh, arbitrator. Which is just, I'm a judge... Yeah, you're literally Judge Dredd, the arbitrator. Yeah. And uh, there's one other. While you're talking, I'll, I'll figure out what it was, because, boy, there's a lot of them, and they're boring. Yeah, so uh, all of these have uh, your basic starting package of uh, this is what you'll be, this is what you get. Uh, oh, that's it. Like, you start with certain skills, or you might start with a feat, or whatever it is. Uh, but all of them have a progression to them. So when you start out, you'll be whatever the baseline is. So you might be like, as a uh, guardsman, you'll start out as a conscript. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. And then once you hit a threshold of XP, you don't really have levels as much as you get XP, and you can spend that to buy things. Uh, as soon as you hit a certain point, you hit a next tier of what you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've ever seen a talent tree in an MMO... Or anything like that, then you know the sort of go down and branch off sort of uh, look to things like that. It, it works almost identically uh, because most of these skills that you can purchase cost one or two hundred XP, so they feel a lot like talent point ranks, like an old World of Warcraft design. Um, so, for example, a conscript is what you are as a guardsman until you have five hundred experience. Yeah. As soon as you have five hundred experience, spent however you want on on guardsman stuff. So guardsman stuff might include uh, the ability to shoot a las pistol, like that skill, or uh, the ability to order some basic men around, or the ability to dodge, which can cost 1 or 200 experience. You can also, during that time, purchase increases to your stats. So those things are what you're spending XP on, and as soon as you have spent 500, you are no longer a conscript. Now you are a guard. Yay! My guardsman at Tier 2 has become a guard. Then you're going to become an, uh, an armsman, a sergeant, and a veteran. And then you're going to hit 6,000 experience. And when that, and each one of these ranks is giving you more, a whole new block of skills you can purchase. Yeah. Now, so the way it works is every tier has like 15 different things that you can spend XP on. They're either skills or abilities. So this is what you have access to. Uh, if you go up a tier, you do still have access to anything on a lower tier. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's the gating mechanic so that someone can't just say, oh, well, I'm going to buy plus, you know, 20 to a skill right away because that's what I want to do. It is, you know, your first tier might say, you can buy the first rank of this. Mm-hmm. Okay, that means I can just use the skill. I have no bonus. Uh, your next tier might say, you can buy the second rank and so on. And there's only two, uh, three ranks. There's starting Plus 10 and plus 20. Those are the only ranks you can get. You can't get higher than plus 20. So, So, uh, yeah, so that's, it's interesting because it gives you a gating mechanic that not only means you can't just immediately specialize in something regardless of how much XP you got, it's just you have to hit that tier, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it also means that you can't just decide you want to do some crazy overpowered build with a certain combination of feats because there's no multi-classing in this. Nope. And there's no way to go outside of whatever is allowed at your tier without the GM just giving you permission. Yeah. So you basically end up with a character that's pretty... I mean, they give you so many options at each tier that it doesn't feel like you're building a cookie-cutter character. 
but uh, effectively in terms of power level you are. You're, you're gated in terms of how powerful your character can get. It's not a terrible design. Now, no, it, it means you're not going to have anything, you're not going to have a pun pun, there is no crazy combo, uh, at least with standard people, uh, that can just go, and I go infinite and I destroy everyone's face. Sure. At a certain XP tier, you'll start, for each one of the classes, there's a whole different set of these things. There's a whole chart of, of, uh, what your ranks are, and then each one of those ranks has a bunch of skills. So, uh, at a certain level, each class will have the opportunity to split into one of a couple different options. So, guardsmen, for example, after they pass the veteran level, can become lieutenants, assault veterans, or scouts. And each one of those is a, a different kind of tree of development as a guardsman. Lieutenant would, com- would cover, like, uh, being a leader. Uh, assault veteran is being a kind of person who... Le- like a shock trooper. A shock trooper, exactly. And a scout is a scout. They go out in the wilderness. They're rangers. Yeah. So you each one of them has something like that. You can't switch back and forth between them. Each one of those opens up a whole new chain of more classes you can get to. Now, I think there are a total of eight tiers that you can go down. And when you hit that eighth tier and you finish it, the game says, you're too powerful to be an acolyte anymore. You've left the scope of the game and you should start another character. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting that not all of the various trees are the same. So, like, the guardsmen, you have just five things that every single guardsman go through, and then you specialize. Whereas some, you'll go down, say, two or three tiers, branch off into one of two options, and then come back down to the same fifth tier. Mm-hmm. It's uh, sort of an odd thing, where some, like the guardsmen, are you go through your career, and then you specialize, whereas others will be like, you have little specializations throughout your career. So uh, it at least has some variety in that sense where uh, not every character is going to be exactly the same as far as like, okay, I hit this tier, this tier, this tier, and then I go. So one of the things I like about this book is that the t- at least the skills are, are amusingly 40k-ish in, in scope and name. So you have skills like Blather and Peer. And, uh, well, the other ones I really liked, uh, Carouse. Oh, yeah. I, I actually really like, and I want to mention this, the writing in this book is wonderful because the people writing it really seemed to enjoy the setting and enjoyed playing with it because there will be times where they'll just be talking about, like, okay, and you'll get this and that, and this will help you hit a guy, which is probably useful because some Xeno is going to destroy your face. And you're just like... Thanks, man. Actually, one of my favorite things in here is under the, uh, the fellow, there, there's a one for, for, uh, lying. It's, it's basically a social role skill. Yeah. And I don't remember exactly what it's called, but, but it's hilarious because it's, it describes like an old priest and he's describing how he was unbelievably valorous in battle and trying to get some guys to be nice to him. And it's like, okay, well, you make your role and you beat it by two degrees of success, which is a thing, by the way. Um, and they go, the, the uh, result is they believe you. They believe you so much that they send you to the front lines of a nearby battle. <laughs> okay, you know, that's very funny and it's very 40K-ish, but it is also kind of adversarial DMing, which, you know, whatever. I don't care in this game because no. making a character is fairly quick and easy. Yeah, and as soon as someone's like, oh, the DM's trying to kill me, I go, man, it is grim dark. There is only war against the DM. Yeah, and, and the DM is trying to kill you. That is absolutely 100% accurate. Everyone in this stupid human society is trying to kill you. Yes. There is no one that is not trying to kill you. There's no nice people in 40k. That's... The nicest person you're going to meet is a trot-upon peasant that isn't currently willing to kill you for whatever you have on you. Yep. There you go. So, uh, there are two types of things you can purchase with your XP. There are skills, which are things like gun use, 
And then there are talents, and talents are basically things that are, uh, they, they unlock abilities for your character. Uh, so for example, they may be things like the ability to dual wield pistols, or... It's, it's standard D&D feats. Yeah, with a couple of key exceptions. Uh, there are some feats there that are, or, uh, talents that are very specifically for psychers, uh, because they do things like increase your level of psychic power, or your ability to notice the auras of nearby people. And then you've got a few that are specific to, say, the tech priest, because it's like, you have an extra techno arm, yes. or... You've got a flashlight in your face and stuff like that. The tech priest is far and away my favorite thing in the book. And so it, 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 to, to really give you an idea of what they look like, they're very Cronenbergian. <laughs> they start with like all kinds of metal tentacles coming off them and extra arms and shit. And uh, they get more of that as they level up. They just keep getting more and more hoses and pipes coming in and out of them. And the great part is, in this, the 40k universe, for those that, again, have not really uh, looked into that, the human race has... Basically lost how to make things. Oh, yeah. We've completely just turned uh, machinery and technology into part of the religion. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it's called a tech priest is because... They worship the Omnissiah. Yeah, there is a machine spirit that they believe in that generally an AI will be considered like a machine spirit. And when they fix things, they have like... Passed down through generations, okay, if you're going to fix this uh, piece of equipment, this is what you do, but rather than it being like a standard, okay, well, you turn this and you do that and it fixes it because this is the underlying principle, it's more, these are the supplications that you need to do to the machine spirit in order to keep this running. It's very similar to how I fix my own equipment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know sh- how you grease down your equipment? Yeah. Ho, ho. Hey, now. Yeah, and then I say an oath to God, and then I kick it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Junk. Oh, my junk. I, I can kick my own junk, apparently. That's my, <laughs> yeah. that's my new storyline. <laughs> that is a good storyline to go with. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's the, the whole concept is that uh, there's a, the 40K universe is a dark ages. No one remembers how they did any of the cool innovations of the past. They remember that they did. And then they've ascribed a sort of hero, a heroic godhood to the people that were able to do it. And so they, uh, they, when they build a new machine, they're doing it by following the templates that are passed down from, from holy years in the past. And they have to do it exactly. And they get very mad if, if anything has changed about these perfect machines. Uh, there is a Butlerian jihad at, at, to speak Dunian against intelligent robots. They don't care for them. Uh, but on the, uh, uh, paradoxically, they believe that everything they build has an intelligent robot living in it—the machine spirit, which is basically the uh, the god of that ma- little animistic god of that machine doing what it ought to. Yeah. So even like this isn't just for tech priests. Like your standard guardsman, when he goes to like disassemble and clean his gun, is going to. It's not just oh, I know I need to grease these parts and I need to. Uh, fix this and rub rust off of whatever. He's doing things that have been turned into a ritual. Mm-hmm. So he'll rub things with oil, not because he knows the lubrication is good for the uh, workings of the gun, but because he thinks it soothes the spirit of the gun. He makes supplications and does certain uh, rites, and it keeps the equipment working, technically, mm-hmm. but they have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. It's a... It's a- it's an interesting concept. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, 40K's got a really weird history, because when it started out in sometime in the early 80s, it was it was very goofy. 
Oh yeah, it yeah. was it was straight up like Mad Magazine looking weirdness. I mean, literally the the first Inquisitor, which are the uh, the major characters of this game that we're talking about, his name was Inspector Sherlock Clouseau. <laughs> yeah, uh, and he he looked like a fat beardo with a trench coat and a shotgun in one hand and a sword in the other. And, and it, I mean, but and the soccer hooligan orcs were were significantly funnier back in the early days, and even the space marines. You'd have like a oh, big were, fat space marine that yeah. was riding around on a bike and looked like a Keystone cop. Yeah, and they always said they they were always like five feet tall, and you, there were always pictures of them scraping uh, like graffiti off the walls of the hive cities. Uh, as as the company has grown and become more corporate, all of that stuff has been scraped away. But what you really see now is the dead serious leftovers of a bunch of eighties jokes. And it's dead serious. Like, there are no jokes in these books. I mean, these books, these these uh, Fantasy Flight games, throw in a couple of, oh, it's funny when, when Imperial soldiers die type things. And it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's but that's because amusing. it's written by Fantasy Flight yeah. and not a GW product. GW products are 100% deadly serious about the... I want to say it's like the fossil reminders of the of the once good times that they did in the eighties, <laughs> and I'm not saying that I'm a purist for the eighties era of forty k. What I'm saying is it's hilarious that it ossified, and it's it's basically a skeletal leftover. It's like oh, this is all deadly serious. It's like well, no, because you can see what it was based on. Those books still exist. Don't even look at them. No, 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 no. The elves are a dying serious race. They were never goofy, but they have names that sound like sports teams from a sci-fi movie. They're like the striking scorpions and stuff. No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Yeah, deadly no. serious. Those you get, scorpions. You get stuff like, "Ah, oh, who's who's this great hero for these guardsmen?" Sly Marbo. Oh Lord, yeah. Sly Marbo. Yeah. Uh, in case you couldn't tell, uh, Marbo is Rambo. Yeah, and Sly, Sly Stallone. Right, hey, and he looks guys. just like him. Hey, oh. don't don't forget that one of the first named Dark Eldar, which were the Dark Elves of this game. The first one with a name was Cruellach the Vile. Yep. Yeah. So there's. They, 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 there were a lot of jokes that they have slowly done their very best to phase away. It's, it's interesting to see what, what gets left behind. I mean, yes, this universe is very grim and dark and serious, but it's so goofy. Yeah, and that's why I'm, I'm okay with a lot of the 40K stuff, because if you come at it from the perspective of it's kind of a nod and a wink mm-hmm. for how grim dark it is, instead of taking it at face value for how grim dark it is, it's wonderful. Yeah, 40K sounds way better when described by anyone other than the books that are currently being sold about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> back, back to the actual game. <laughs> uh, okay, we got to talk about Psychers, because generally, if you talk to anyone that plays this this game, the uh, the Dark Heresy, they'll tell you that Psychers are 3.5 D&D wizards. They're just, oh, yeah. They're just busted. They're, they're, they get so much character agency and so much power. And they're the only one that gets it. At least in something like D&D, you've got a wizard and a cleric and a sorcerer and at least paladins and rangers and everyone can sort of get access to spells. And because you have multi-classing in a lot of those other games, even if you started as a fighter, you could eventually just go, oh, wait a minute, this is balls, I want spells, and get those. There are a couple of exceptions, and we'll, we'll get to them in a second. Yeah. But the Psyker is the only one that gets access to the psychic powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get to level those up with feats, so you are at least gated as far as how powerful you get to start with. But even then, one of the very starting powers you can get is a free action, mm-hmm. and it makes it so that you're invisible, mm-hmm. and it's insanely powerful. Mm-hmm. And the even the ability to see you, to attack you, if they make that difficult roll, they are then also like another minus 30 to hit you, even if they can see you. Yeah. And you just 
Do this. Every turn. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Doesn't cost you anything. No. Might as well just keep doing it. The only thing that you're risking is a slight chance of a psychic mishap, and then a psychic mishap, it's a bunch of goofy shenanigans happen. Oh, everything smells like charcoal, or it's suddenly very cold. Yeah, there's a... Uh, if you roll above a 75 on the stupid chart, then you get into the serious chart. The the perils of the warp. And even on the perils chart, unless you roll fairly high on that, you're also not going to be messed up. Although if you roll above a 75, and then you roll a 100 on the perils, you're just dead. Yeah, the, the warp eats you and then burps. It act, yeah. actually says it burps. It's it's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, they they have... Uh, they're also the only ones that have access to any sort of real healing, if you want to do that. Yeah, there's, uh, the tech priests get some healing stuff, but it's still, it's just bonuses to the, the medical skill, which is called medic, uh, it's a pure Medicaid. Yeah, because... Everything's it, in fake Latin. Yeah, we need fake Latin for all things. Yeah, we... Uh, so anyway, there are ways to get psychic powers if you're not specifically an Imperial Sanctioned Psyker. Some of the classes, if you get to the really high-level versions of them... Uh, notably, the adepts and the arbiter, or not the arbiters, the, the clerics, can eventually gain some minor or even some decent psychic powers. Uh, it, it, it's supposed to represent aspects of how the uh, the 40k universe works. I think even the assassin class, because if you yeah. think about your 40k assassins, they're those four goofy assassin yeah. things. Uh, one or two of those have some kind of psychic connection, and so they reflect that. But none of them come. It's 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 the difference between bards and wizards in D and D. Like no one's ever like bards are super OP in th- in third edition D and D. Because they're not, because they start so much lower than wizards. Yeah, so even getting those, you've got two tiers of psychic powers. Mm-hmm. You've got your main, uh, everyday, run-of-the-mill psychic powers, and those some people can get to. Right, but invisibility is one of them. So, yeah. yeah, let's just put that out there. It's it Right off the bat, if you get any minor psychic powers, you're already way too powerful. And then, from that, you then go into the disciplines. And there are several different disciplines, and each of them covers a certain thing. So you might have... Biomancy, where you're all about making either yourself buff or wrecking other people's bodies or what have you. Honestly, they're very similar to the second edition D&D set. There's telepathy, telekinesis, biomancy, precognition, and fire. Yeah. And so uh, all of them have at least a couple things in there that are just ridiculously powerful. You know, in biomancy, you can straight up just be like, hey, uh, I've set it up. So I will regenerate all of my health every turn. So unless you straight up murder me, I will not care. Yep. So basically, it's very easy to build a Psyker. They get to roll Psychic Dice each turn that are equivalent to the number of levels in Psy Power, or whatever it is, that they have. And they can apply that to attempt to beat a, a stat requirement to activate a Psychic Power. So for example, to activate your Invisibility Power might have a threshold difficulty of, like, 11. If you have a Psy rating of 3, then you're going to roll, uh, I think it's something like 5 dice, to try and beat an 11. If you do, then you get your uh, Psychic Power goes off. Yeah, so each uh, rank of Psychic Power you have is another die you can roll. You don't have to. Right, because each time you roll a 9, you get one of those Psychic Mishap tables. Yeah. So if something has a threshold of, like, 5, and you've already got a willpower bonus to your roll of, like, 4, mm-hmm. there is really no reason to roll extra dice on that. Right, you just roll 1 and hope you don't roll the 9. If you do roll more than 1 die and you do get more than 1 9, then you have to roll that many times on the Psychic Mishat table and suffer all those weird things at once. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. Uh, the psychic uh, players, because there isn't really, like, a uh, like like a mana system... They're just going to use their best uh, psychic ability every turn. Yeah, there is no Vancian. You yeah. just know what you know. Uh, your psychic dice 
pool, essentially how much you can roll regenerates every round. Mm -hmm. So if there's anything that is ridiculously good for you to do, just do it. Do it all the time. Do it forever. Never stop doing that. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's a little skewed. I, I, I've, I've heard of people playing this game and just saying no psychers because it's easier. Yeah. And, you know, you'll have a thing where the book says like, oh yeah, if, some psyker starts doing a bunch of perils because they're throwing a bunch of dice at things that the rest of your Inquisitor squad is probably going to want to put you down, but you're a fucking psyker and you're invisible 24-7, so I don't know how they're going to do that. Also, that's not a good uh, a mechanic. I mean, honestly, telling the players to self-regulate by killing each other is not a thing that's actually going to happen. No. I mean, have you ever seen what happens when you try and play a character in one of the, in like a... a D&D game where like, oh yeah, I don't believe in personal property. If someone leaves something on the ground, I might take it. Well, it's and also one of those things where you're like, I'm playing an evil character, I'm and I've murdered this other character in their sleep because I'm evil. I stole his necklace. Like, you don't do that shit because it's annoying and it's it's not fun for the others. So, yeah, it's it's a little it's a little silly that they expect, expect players to self-regulate, like, by killing each other for yeah. the greater good. Eh, whatever. Uh, so, uh, there yeah. you go. Now, if you were thinking that just because this is an advanced technolo- or technology universe where there's lasers and super missile guns and all kinds of cool stuff like that, that people don't run around hitting each other with hammers, uh, don't be don't be alarmed to learn that you actually do. Oh yeah, well, given that the weapon skill is one of your main stats, people are running around using chain swords to carve each other up mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of uh, melee weapons and baroque style heavy armors that make up this universe. There's chain mails and leathers and so on. Uh, this, again, is just a throwback to the fact that uh, no one there knows how to build things that aren't specifically from templates, and weapons are often considered too holy for someone to have, so it's like, oh, I have this mace, but, you know, it's just a mace. It doesn't have a machine spirit or whatever. I'm allowed to have this. Yeah, like, I'm some peasant. I can go ahead and have a pitchfork. Hooray. There you go. So, there are a lot of melee weapons. and it, Honestly, that's that's well within the theme, and it's perfect for 40k, because... If you tell someone to picture 40K and they do, the first thing they're going to picture is a giant man with a chainsaw in one hand and a missile launcher gun in the other. Yeah. And and they'll be right. Yeah, they are 100% accurate. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, skulls. Oh, yeah, and skulls. Skulls everywhere. Everything is a skull. There, it is a skull-based economy in the 40K universe. It's 100 I'll give you five skulls for a quarter, they'd say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, the weapons in this are interesting. Uh, as they interact with your armor. So, uh, all of the armor that you have co- covers a certain section of your body. Mm-hmm. You do have random hit locations whenever you hit a guy in this. You can do called shots, and it's harder to hit them, but you can if you want to. But when you go to hit a guy, you have a table for, like, head, arms, body, or legs. And uh, if you have armor... Your armor might say, okay, I'm wearing some leathers, because I'm poor. Mm -hmm. It covers my body and arms. So if someone randomly rolls head or legs, I don't get my armor protection. And the armor protection is all, you have a certain number of armor points. And it just straight up shaves that off of the damage. So Mm -hmm. if I have an armor point of three, and someone shanks me, I'll take three damage off of whatever they were shanking me for. Yep. Great. That's fine. It's simple. Easy to understand. And then you add in with certain weapons have armor penetration. Not all of them have it, but a lot of them have an armor pen value that shaves that much off of the armor value. So if I have something with an armor penetration value of 2, 
then if someone had armor with two armor points, they just wouldn't get armor. Uh, but it doesn't go into negatives for the armor penetration. If I have armor penetration of seven and they're wearing an armor two, I don't get five extra damage. It just negates the armor. Yeah. Uh, and there's also a chance to dodge attacks. So people are going to have to roll to try and hit you. And then if you have the dodge talent, then you can attempt to dodge using your an agility roll one attack per melee ra- or per round that's that's coming in after you. Yeah. Everyone automatically gets the ability to parry. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to get the dodge ability if you want to get out of the way of ranged attacks. Mm-hmm. And you get one per round regardless of how many things are shooting at you, which makes uh, mast fire the burn one down and move on to the next uh, the best strat for anything because it means if you burn your dodge on one guy's shot you are just sort of fucked for everyone else's shots against you. Yeah, so the way to play the game is to just pick a guy, kill him, pick another guy, kill him as a party. Yeah. Uh, the... <laughs> the way damage works in this is also really weird and interesting. Mm-hmm. So you'll have... Pretty much everything is D10-based. A few weapons will do, like, D5 plus whatever damage. Right. Uh, but if you roll for damage, and you roll a 10 for your damage... You have now reached Righteous Fury, and you can roll essentially the same way uh, a critical threat worked in D&D. Oh, will you roll to see if you hit again? Yeah, if you hit him again after rolling a 10 for damage, you get to roll another D10. If you roll a 10 on that, you get to roll again, and so on until you stop rolling 10s. Mm-hmm. Uh, for anything past the first one, you don't need to roll to hit again. They've already decided you are furious. And they have an example in there, which is hilarious, where it's like, some guy comes at Guardsman Bob, and he's like, I'm gonna wreck your shit! And the Guardsman hits him in the face with the butt of his knife. He rolls a 10 for damage, and then he rolls, and he hits him again, and rolls a 10 for damage, and then he rolls, and gets an 8. He does 32 points of damage to this guy's face. The average human has about 12 wounds? So with the butt of his knife, he turned this man's head into a fine mist. Yeah, that's it's lovely. Uh, the game again is very optimistic in its de- in its descriptions of how characters roll dice. It's like, oh yeah, this guy rolled a one in a fifteen thousand chance. What do you know? What a great story! <laughs> this game's gonna be super fun for you. That'll happen all the time. Oh yeah, yeah. The uh, <laughs> the fact that everything works in the example player's favor all the time is great because looking at this game as soon as you start you're going to be like oh man i'm going to i'm going to try and shoot that evil psyker uh you fail he turns your dick into peanuts and then you fall into the warp and you're like what <laughs> roll another character i'm sorry george you're dead yeah that's it's it's real weird that it goes that way <laughs> what what's yeah, your next character up. well now i'm a cleric oh i'm sorry george your cleric has now been eaten by a demon yeah get out that dick to peanuts psychic power is really, really overpowered. Well, you know, it, at least it's in one of the disciplines. It's it's in the peanut discipline. Right. All all things peanuts. Yeah, you have biomancy, telepathy, peanuts. <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, a slightly mispronounced version where you turn a dick into penis. <laughs> I also really like that uh, one because it lets me pull a football out whenever anyone's trying to kick oh, it. You son of a bitch. <laughs> Oh, the uh, psychic power that finally lets you kiss the little red-headed girl. <laughs> oh, it turned me into the Red Baron. <laughs> 
And it gave me a blanket, and we're done. Hey, I've got one black friend. Oh, okay, oh, no, wait, we're done. Oh. I'm sorry. I thought... <laughs> wait, spook show? What? Let, let's you know there's a lesbian couple nearby. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> so. Ah, uh, yeah. All right. Uh... <laughs> okay, and uh, the other goofy thing with damage is... Uh, they have what's called critical damage, but Righteous Fury is what you would normally think of as crits. Critical damage is just if you take damage in excess of your wounds, what happens to you? So, if you take a small amount of damage past your wounds, you look at the ener- or the damage type that hit you, so if it was energy or explosions or whatever, mm-hmm. and then the area that you got hit in, and it'll tell you what happens to you. So if it was just like one or two wounds past, you're like, oh, you're kind of messed up and bleeding and whatever. If it goes to like five or six, then it's probably you lost your arm or your eye gets popped out or you lose a leg or whatever. These aren't big deals in the 40k universe. They'll just strap you up with a painful, crazy looking cybernetic appendage. But then if you get to about seven or eight or above in anything. It's just various descriptive ways of how you die. Yeah. Which is awesome. Right. The one for your leg, if you get an explosion that blows up your legs and it's ten wounds over, then your legs then also explode outward in shrapnel and it does, like, a D10 plus two damage to everyone around you as bone shards fly out. It is the best descriptions of anything. Like, if your head gets blown up, they just talk about, like, your teeth getting embedded in the sidewalk. It's so good. <laughs> oh, what about the giant alien worm that was in there? Does it, it? Oh, oh, wait a minute. That's how I always picture head explosions. Since I've been a little kid, every time I hear head explosion, I picture that one I picture TNG. Picard yeah, and uh, Riker, Riker. Blowing up that admiral. Yeah, that, that worm in there, that's good stuff. That's <laughs> good eating. <laughs> so, okay, uh, we're... Getting to the point where I should probably ask you what your uh, favorite thing about this game is. Uh, I'm going to have to go with the actual flavor writing in this. I've mentioned it a few times, but the people behind this, because they aren't actually GW folks, get to have fun with it. Yeah. They, they have that nod and a wink. We're people that like 40K but don't take it too serious. So you have things like... The ridiculous explosions of gore when they talk about the crit. Yeah, or the perils of the warp table that isn't just you die, you take a wound, you super die. It's it's actually funny shit happening oh, to yeah. you. Oh yeah, you're like, you get harassed by a demon spirit and everyone around you slips and falls and just goofy shit. Yeah, so that's nice. The, the, they take the grim setting to its logical, stupid conclusion and that's 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 definitely true. That's, yeah, that's and funny it, shit. It has wonderful little bits in there about like, uh, you know, if you act a certain way, you'll probably be on, like, some Ordo Hereticus list, and if you do this, whatever. And it's very tongue-in-cheek and very cute, and I appreciate that they didn't go super grimdark realism on it. Yeah, I, I've heard that about these games. Like, that, for example, that the, uh, the the table for throwing things in the Space Marine game can result in some ludicrous numbers and results, <laughs> and it's just funny. It's just fun to do that and let your Space Marine throw a, throw a bus through, you know, into a nearby town. Yeah, why not? Yeah, who cares? Or throw a town into a nearby bus. Whatever. <laughs> do it! Have fun with it! Who cares? You're a Space Marine. No one gives a fuck anymore. Oh, God, Space Marines. Okay, so what is your favorite thing about Dark Heresy? I like the way that they organized the classes into discrete uh, kind of subgroupings. The, the way they did the tier system. I oh, like yeah. that. I, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the fact that it's done by names instead of numbers. Like, I, you know... 
I remember that the fifth rank of guard is veteran, because I was just looking at it, but I couldn't tell you, for example, what the third rank of scum is. Uh, no. Because, why, why would I know that? And, and, uh, but on the other hand, the third rank of scum, I already know what it is. It's a discrete list of talents and skills you can choose from and purchase for set amounts of XP that make sense. It's a good way to do gaining, and it's an interesting way to let your character kind of progress with within limits, but also within their choices. Yeah, I think that's... Of all of the design decisions in there, I mean, most of them are either rehashes of old games or just not particularly exciting. I think the way they do the tiered progression is actually one of the best decisions they make. It's very well done. The, the only problem with it is that it eats up a ton of space in the book. Because, oh, yeah. Yeah, because every class is like 15 pages long, and it's just all these lists of, of skills. And it's not like, you know, you hear that, you think, oh, 15-page long class. That sounds exactly like 4th edition D&D, where it's got all those discrete powers. Except it doesn't work that way. It's just 15 pages of tables, and then you have to go back to the section of the book where all the powers and skills are and look at those as well. Yeah, and it's it's not like every single class gets their own discrete uh, selection of skills, you're still picking from certain things. So, you know, my tech priest can get Laz Pistol ability. My guardsman can get Laz Pistol ability. They're both on different tiers, maybe, within the class, but they're in there. Right, so you end up with a lot of... There's a lot of uh, space in this book that's given over to class design, which is fine, because it's yeah. a player's handbook. But, you know, like, if you're playing 4th uh, edition D&D and you're playing a fighter, you need the section from the start of fighter to the end of fighter, and you're fine. You can play that character. With this, it's like you need the whole fucking book. Oh, yeah. But that's still, I like it. I like it a lot. It's my favorite part about the game is the way they did the discrete class design. Uh, what would you say is your least favorite thing? Uh, probably, even though I love the descriptions of the critical damage, I think the game, especially at this level, I'm sure it's way better if you're, like, a space marine or something, but it is... So deadly. Yeah. The the Righteous Fury mechanic sounds funny, but it's one of those things like, if the DM decides to use that with any NPC, they can just straight up murder you, and, you know, given the example in there, with just like, what did they do? They punched you. Normally this would do nothing. But I rolled ten twice, and now your head explodes. Uh, it's kind of a... It's weird... That kind of crit mechanic, when it's given over to the the enemy or to the uh, DM's uh, monsters, is always a bad idea because of the the statistics value of it. You know, your average mook, when you meet a monster on the street and you're going to fight him like some mutant, he's got six hit points. It doesn't matter if you crit against him or not. You're only ever going to fight him once because he's going to die. Yeah, you're only ever going to make like one or two damage rolls against him tops. But players are are subject to hundreds of damage rolls over the course of their game, which means eventually they are going to die. Statistically, they are just going to die from some goofball crit at some point. Yeah, the uh, the game does at least say the GM probably shouldn't use this for anything outside yeah. of, like, super important NPCs, and I appreciate that. Fair enough. But even then, uh, it is a... Considering you have a wounds of somewhere in the neighborhood of 8 at the low end and, like, 14 at the high end, and a gun does a D10 plus, like, 4, it is super easy without even getting a crit mechanic to just be like, Alright, this guy shot me with a last pistol, and I died. Also, armor is expensive, rare, and often limited to certain classes. Yeah, and even if you do have armor, if you're like, Alright, this covers my body, my arms, and my legs. Oh, I rolled randomly head, and your head pops off. Ah, oh, great. Yeah. So, that would be my least. What is your least favorite? Uh, there's a lot of old-fashioned stuff in this book that, you know, while I appreciate it because this game's supposed to be grim and difficult, it's, it's you know, they, they should have moved past this by the time this book came out. 
Uh, random straight down the line stat rolling. That is an ancient mechanic that no one needs. Oh yeah, that that was especially weird for me seeing that in uh, a professionally done book like this. Yeah, we're they're like, yeah, roll down the line. Both of us are really bold by how nice this book is. You know, it's, oh my god, the layout in this is so sexy. It's got good editing. It's got good uh, writing. It's got rules that are concrete and make sense and are in the spots where they should be. It is not a soft cover book from the nineties. We are so happy. Oh, my God. There's it's art so in there that isn't done by, like, someone's 14-year-old nephew. <laughs> Doesn't it, look like it was traced out of a Wildstorm comic. It isn't just a picture you put through the wind filter. Oh, God, it's amazing. But, uh, but yeah, there's the other thing that I think is super old school that I hate is the random amounts of money that each class gets. Uh, like, Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's still, like, if you're a cleric, you get 150 plus a D100 gold to start. If you're a scum, you get 5 plus a D5 gold to start. It's like, well, okay... I know that he's a scum, so he's supposed to be like a guy, he's like a gang member that's been recruited into the ranks of this acolyte. Well, that's, that's nice and all, but he's been recruited into the ranks of, the, of this, this inquisitor. He's supposed to be important now. He works for a very important guy. He does a very important job. There's a lot of responsibility that's placed on him. Give him some fucking money. Oh yeah. No, the fact that you would start out and you would be like, alright, well, my dude straight up just has a shit ton of cash, I'm gonna buy an actually good weapon, and I'm gonna go to town on folks, and then some other guy's like, I started with, you know, a hundred, uh, I buy a dagger, I guess? I have a stick. We. Uh, I'm gonna hit a gang, ma- oh, I died, oh, why did I play this social character? <laughs> that That's, it's, uh, it's old-fashioned, doesn't need to be there. I, uh, so, so, you know, those are two examples, there's a lot more of them in there. Oh, and one of the other weird things uh, we didn't even mention when we were talking about it is your uh, your race or what world you're from dictates what classes you can be. Oh, yeah. So, like, if you're a feral, then you can be a guardsman or a uh, imperial psyker. But if you're a... Cause you, cause you but have you can't be adept position. because you can't be a smart guy. Yeah, you can't be a smart guy. It's all right, because those tend to flow with the stats. Yeah. And uh, so you generally, the world that you're from is what you'd want to be anyway, but it's just sort of odd that you can't be a smart dude from a feral world, and you can't be, like, a scum from an imperial world or whatever. It is kind of funny because of the order in which you select these things. First, you choose... You can't, there is a table to roll on, but you you choose which planet you come from. You say, I want to be from an imperial world. Okay. Now you roll your stats randomly and assign them down the line. Okay. What if you happen to roll a 99 and apply that to your strength, which you aren't very good with if you're from a from a hive world, for example? You're like, oh, I'm strong as fuck. I, this is awesome. What can I be? A psyker. Oh, ah. Yeah. That that sort of thing can happen. Because you go, you go uh, race or planet, stats, and then class. You have to go in that order. So you end up with some characters that have goofy stats in the wrong spots, but whatever. Eh. So, yeah. Okay, so there you go. My least favorite thing is that there's a lot of very old-fashioned decisions in the book. And, and yeah, all right. So, uh, would you play Dark Heresy? Uh, I probably would. I went through the like the little adventure in the back, and I think one of my favorite things from that is even the starting adventure that they give you is straight up. If your characters don't figure this out, they will be murdered. Mm-hmm. Like that's the end of the adventure. Yeah, I I kind of would want to play in this. Only if everyone involved knew that the entire party was probably going to get killed at a moment's notice every time you played. There's a little section in there of quick start, like, are you, uh, you know, a guardsman and you don't want to have to make a bunch of choices? You get the following skills and the following stat upgrades and so on, just just roll with that. And I think that's that's genius, because if you wanted to play this game right, you just make it so that rolling up a character takes like two minutes and say, alright guys, start! 
and you're going to constantly die, and who cares? Because all that happens is you have to sit in the penalty box for a minute and roll up another character. Oh, yeah. And maybe uh, maybe you don't get an extra slice of pizza. <laughs> oh, get, guess, get this. The book mentions pizza. Woo! Yeah, it's, it, yeah. it's actually got uh, pizza mention, makes makes it into the 40K book. Uh, it's not DM's pizza, though. It's just generic party-wide it's pizza. It's just grimdark pizza. It's just pizza for all, uh, but in service it's of pizza the with little skulls, right? <laughs> it's a skull-crust pizza. <laughs> ah, stuffed with skulls. Yeah. Also, the crust is skulls. Yeah. They yeah. are stuffed with skulls as well, though. Also, the pe- the pepperoni have been squeezed into the shape of little skulls, but is also made of skulls. Yeah. Yeah. So it's skulls on skulls. It's skullaroni. Yeah. So, uh, I would also... Would you, would you play this? Yeah, I- I'd play this. This seems like it'd be a lot of fun. You could, you could, as long as you were playing it with a total tongue-in-cheek sense of humor... And you didn't mind your character dying constantly. Because there are people who can't do that. Who, who, uh. Oh no, there are people that will make a character, have given them, like, a five page background, and if they die, they're like, well, what the fuck now? Yeah. Pe- some people build characters for life. Like, if, if, it, this sort of game wouldn't be right for them. Because, because no. it's, it's gonna give you a bunch of restrictions along the line. And if there, it, there are people who, if they, they encounter a restriction, like, well, that goes against the concept I had before I got to the table, so I can't do this. Yeah. You know, so they're going to play this game even if they get a character they want, and then some dude's going to shoot him with a melt-a-gun. They're going to melt, and then that's it. Yeah, so it's a great game to come to with the mind of this is a goofball game that you're going to die a bunch, but you're still going to have a lot of fun role-playing. Because you really can get into the meat of role-playing in the 40K universe and being like, oh yeah, I, I, I say a bunch of dumb Latin techno babble and constantly am praying to the Emperor and yelling, purge the witch. Oh, yeah. Just be like, kill the heretic by the emperor's golden balls. Right. That sort of thing is awesome and very fun. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I would add the caveat that I am a diehard Xenos fanboy. All of my armies for 40k were Xenos armies. I love the aliens. This book doesn't have the stats for any of them. There's no, no. nothing, cause they're too powerful. Oh, yeah. An orc would straight up murder an entire party of people from Dark Heresy. Yeah. And, and orcs are shitty and cheap in the 40k universe. So this is really playing the low end of the, of the 40k power scale. Uh, so there's no stats for the aliens. They barely ever get mentioned. So for me, that that's that's a bit of a knock. I would still play this game, but I'm 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 a Xenos kind of guy. Yeah. Well, I'm a Chaos guy. I definitely want to play in the Chaos universe. Oh, you can play a Chaos version of this. Oh yeah. They play as the Chaos acolytes that hang around with the sorcerer and do the exact same shit, but are oh, just evil about it. Yeah, that'd be a way way more fun game to be honest with oh, you. Oh, I want that right now. God, <laughs> let's start playing that right now. Fuck this podcast. <laughs> well, actually, fuck this podcast is not. Outside the realm of possibility, because we're at an hour and one. So, uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up. You got anything else you want to say about 40k in general, or this game? No, not really. Good, good for this game for not being a steaming pile of grim dark crap. No, this is fine. I, I, as long as GW keeps selling the license for this instead of trying to write it themselves, I'm a happy camper. Yep. Yep, so there you have it. Uh, as always, this has been the System Mastery Podcast. You can find us at SystemMasteryPodcast.com, System Mastery on Facebook, Gmail, or Twitter. Uh, or you could just leave a comment directly below if you want to get a hold of us. We're happy to answer your questions or take recommendations. Speaking of which, we are going to be doing our very first ever player recommendation for our next episode. Uh, a special thanks to Ryan, who suggested that we do Cinnabar. Uh, I'm saying thanks at the moment, but any second now, John's going to chime in and just tell you the fuck off, because that book is No way, man. Enormous. I love Cinnabar. They're all sweet and way too big, and there's all that icing all over it. Oh, man. I mean, you got to go to the mall or an airport to get one, but they're great. Okay, so uh, so he is, of course, talking about Cinnabun. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's not what we're reviewing? Yes, we are going to review Cinnabuns. Oh, dude. Just to, you and me together. We're going to go right now <laughs> to the big Cinnabun factory upstate. Yes! 
It's time. My time has come. <laughs> All of my practice has been leading to this. <laughs> uh, so we're going to be reviewing Cinnabar next, probably. Uh, that book is big, imposing, and insane. So we may be doing our first ever two-parter. Who knows? We'll see what we can get accomplished in an hour. Uh, until that time, uh, this has been System Mastery, and thank you for listening. Thank you.